Hey friends, welcome to another episode of the Lucky Few Podcast, where we are shifting the narrative by shouting the worth of people with Down syndrome. This is Micah. And Heather. And today we are chatting with Kinsey Clark, who created Able Transition Consulting, a service that equips individuals with disabilities with the resources to enter adulthood. We are so excited to talk about this. And we are so excited that you're joining us, friends. Welcome to the Lucky Few Podcast. This week's episode is sponsored by the one and only Jonas Paul Eyewear. Jonas Paul Eyewear was founded by Ben and Laura Harrison when their son, Jonas, was born nearly blind at birth. This was extremely unexpected news that no parent prepares for, but it gave them a window into the world of blindness, and it helped them start their company, Jonas Paul Eyewear, which is on a mission to help kids feel beautiful and confident in their glasses. Head to JonasPaulEyewear.com to learn more. All right. Let's talk about transitions, Heather. Oh, we could sing about it. Let's sing about it all day. Hi, the people who hate that we sing talk really hated we started off <laughs> this way. Um, <laughs> transitions. I know it's such a, it's, I feel like with being a parent of a child with a disability, it's like you transition at three, you transition at into kinder, you transition into junior high, high school, adulthood. And all of those are so different because the phases of life are so significantly different. So Mason is 12 and has trans- we've done the transition at three into preschool and then into kinder. And now we just this year transitioned into sixth grade. And to note that it is during COVID. And so prior to that, planning for the transition from fifth grade to sixth grade felt paralyzing to me. Mm-hmm as like a shouter of worth and an advocate. And I couldn't even handle it. The thought of junior high and then school. So with transitioning, I think oftentimes for me, I think about school for a Mason as a sixth grader is less about school and more about relationship and, and what that's going to mean for her. But it's been, I I feel like it's not fair to have a conversation about it because COVID's ruined everything. So there has not been a transition. It's like a nothing, yet life is still moving, you know? So it doesn't, I don't think that I can say what's been hard or easy about Mason's transition into sixth grade. It's all been the worst. (laughs) (laughs) It hasn't existed. Like I don't, it's not like this was a great experience. No, it's only been a terrible experience, but Mm -hmm. I blame that completely on distance learning and COVID because there's not, it's an impossible task to say, let's create a transition plan for Mason's success in it within a program that she can't be successful period. I know that doesn't sound like my growth mindset self. She can't be successful in distance learning. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've landed there. My mindset is, has closed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, but I used to teach, I used to be a teacher. I used to be special educator and I taught the high school level. And so I taught students in a transition program And it's interesting. I've talked about this a little bit on the podcast before, being a parent versus being an educator. 
with within the disability space and how as a special education teacher, I would be a very different teacher now that I have a child with disabilities. But the program felt at the time, and maybe it will feel this way if when Mason gets there, if it's the same program, um, it felt really important and helpful and valuable for our students because a lot of them stayed until they were 22. A lot of them weren't on a diploma track at school. And so it's like, okay, when you're done with school, what, what are the things that you will need to have the most independence and success with who you are? And there's a skill set that needed to be taught and um, supported. There were supports that needed to be in place that I think a lot of people without disabilities don't need, you know, you don't have to think it through. So it's, it was like a very intentional class, a very individualized experience for each student. And yeah, it was just so different than the way that you would teach a neurotypical able-bodied person to enter into the workforce or to leave high school, you know? Right. Right. When you think about the, the things that you taught and your fears or what makes you excited for Mason when she reaches that age? What, what comes up for you? What are you, mm, what do you worry about? Heather? Um, I want her to be able to have opportunities within the things she's passionate about and not just like you can work at this restaurant stuffing napkins or a Walmart greeter. I don't know. I like, I feel, I feel like the opportunities for my students were so limited and so our spaces in the, in the community were like very stereotypical, like you'd expect to find a person with a disability in that space, yeah. um, which didn't, doesn't feel honoring. And I think that would be a fear for me that Mason gets, doesn't have those opportunities to really thrive and be her best, be able to contribute to society in the ways that are meaningful to her yeah. because it's, there's not a that doesn't exist, you know, or, or people aren't there to make it happen. Right. People right. like Kinsey. <laughs> well, speaking of, let's, this is a great moment to transition. We're so excited that Kinsey Clark is joining us. She's a former special educator and she's now the brains behind Able Transition Consulting. And we have her here today with us to hear more about her and what she's doing for adults with disabilities through her transition services. So, Welcome to the show, Kinsey Clark. Thank you guys so much. I'm so excited and honored to be here. Hi, Kinsey. This is so fun. Okay, so let's start with, tell us about yourself. So like where you're from, where you live now. I'm super interested on your connection to, dis- to the disability space and then why you're not teaching. That was a lot of questions. Just tell us about you. Yeah, all, all of the things. Um, so I'm a North Carolina native. I'm from the Charlotte area. I live in Raleigh now. My husband went to NC State, and when he graduated, he stayed in Raleigh. And after we got married, um, I moved here. And my connection to the disability community is pretty intricate, I would say. I grew up with a great uncle with multiple disabilities. So he was in my life. My mom's best, best friend has two adults on the spectrum. Um, And so they were always a part of my life growing up, um, being around them. I have a cousin with a traumatic brain injury. So I feel like people with disabilities were 
in my life, in my sphere. Um, I, the youth group I was involved in, we had individuals that were high functioning on the spectrum. And then when I was 15, so it was a long time ago, I look younger than I actually am. It's a blessing and a curse, as my mother says. Um, when I was 15, I started working at a camp called Camp Joy in the mountains of North Carolina. And um, it is a camp for adults with disabilities. And um, typically those adults are much older. So my oldest camper was 76 years old. Whoa. Um, yeah. And through that experience, um, along with my family members, my mom's friends, kids, I felt just like this pull and call to be a part of this community because these people were my friends. They were my peers. They were my family members, right? And so I didn't know really what that was going to look like as I moved forward. And I went to college with this desire to work in the disability community, not really sure specifically where, um, but I really felt like God was leading me into special ed. My mom was a middle school guidance counselor for 25 years. Wow. She was like, do you really want to go to the education system? And I was like, yes, <laughs> like, this is what I want to do. Um, and so she, everybody was, you know, we're, we're going to support you. So I majored in special ed. My undergraduate degree is from Appalachian State University in the mountains of North Carolina. And um, I specialized in adaptive special education. And so I listened to your podcast and I love hearing about California. North Carolina is very different, <laughs> um, not as inclusive whatsoever. So my um, specialty essentially was working with students who have moderate on the, on the spectrum, I guess. I don't really love all the titles, but from the education perspective, mm -hmm. moderate to severe, that was what my specialty was in. And so I went in thinking, all right, I'm going to major in this. And then I'm going to push the heck out of inclusion in schools that I work in. <laughs> like, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. And so I graduated, um, started teaching. I've taught five to 17 year olds and at every wow. space and setting, I was the first special ed teacher that the principals that the school had worked with that was really pushing for inclusion. And so I had all my kids, depending on who they were, what their interest levels were, what their interests were in, going out to specials, academics, engaged with their same age peers. Um, you know, research shows that if they're on, if they, if kids with disabilities are spending time with their same aged peers, there's so much growth that's going to happen in those spaces and in those areas. And so um, that was a big component for me, at least as a special education teacher um, in a place where inclusion doesn't really happen. You know, I would say in my time teaching, there was one family that advocated for full inclusion, full day with supports for a one-on-one -on -one, and that was it. And um, in North Carolina, at least we, classrooms are very separate. They're very segregated and depending, which to me is not justice, it's not equality, right? It's not equity. And it's not the least restrictive environment in many ways for these individuals. So I, as I taught a big question, all of my families had, especially the older families whose kids were 16, 15, Hey, what's going to happen when they're 21 mm -hmm. and nothing is guaranteed to them? Like there's this fear of like this impending cliff that is just approaching you mm -hmm. and it gets closer and closer. And so being a special ed teacher, 
right? I had worked with Vogue Rehab. I had talked with different agencies and organizations, but I didn't know much about transition. And it was very humbling because this was what I love. This was my passion, right? And I want to prepare these individuals for their future to have as high quality of an adulthood as they can, where they can be autonomous and independent and self-determined, but I don't know anything about transition. So what the heck am I going to do? So I sought out my master's degree in transition. The university of Kansas actually started the transition coalition. So Mm -hmm. they have started this movement to have special transition specialists, basically um, learn the world of transition learn all of the different avenues, the agencies, and then how to like really concretely plan for the future in a way that allows for nuance, right? And individuality and building out unique plans. So I did a distance education learning program through Kansas and got my graduate degree in secondary special education and transition and absolutely loved it, but then was also like what the heck is happening? Why is no one talking about this? No one in my school system is talking about this. We are all so focused on the IEP, getting them included into general education classes. We are working like my district, especially like data, 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 getting all your data points. And which was like, I agree with all of that, right? Like I'm working towards all of these things for the benefit of my students um, so that their voices can be heard. But we're not talking about once they leave here, like we're not having those conversations. And at least within my district, we, the district is getting cut every year. The special ed budget's cut. We've had district people that have been fired, let go, or bumped back down to teacher level. And so um, when I finished, when I was finishing up my degree, you know, I, I kind of approached a few district personnel, hey, this is my degree. I'd love to be able to work for the district, support families, support individuals, because everybody needs this information. If you are going to grow up, you need to know about transition. And there's so many transitions along the way, like you said earlier, right? Going to pre-K, going to middle school, going to high school, and then leaving. There's all these nuances throughout your life, but the big transition is when you leave the school system for good Mm -hmm. and what's going to happen. And so through a lot of prodding, I was, you know, can I get a job? Would this work? Would this be a reality? And it was just made clear that it would probably never be a reality due to budget restraints. But I had all these families that I was working with and they are, they were all fearful of the future. Mm. And there were just so many questions and most of them too, didn't even want to talk about the future. They didn't want to think about it. They don't want to think about a world in which their kid lives where they're not alive. It's because it's right. It's incredibly emotional. It's, you already have guilt and there's exhaustion and questions and just the unknown is scary for anybody. So at that point, it got to the point where I was like, you know, I could stay here and teach one group of kids. I had about 10 students in my class self-contained at that point, or I could leave and try to educate and support as many families as I can. And that was a really hard summer for me. I cried a lot because I loved my kids, my students. I loved their families. I loved getting them out in the community um, and getting them engaged, but I really felt called to leave. It was a really hard decision. So that's why I started ABLE. It was, it was really for my students 
it was for individuals that I know who are adults now who have a low quality of life, who I'm friends with, right? Who can't find a job, who hang out on their parents' couch and want to be involved socially, want to have a job, want to know about post-secondary education options. And so I kind of took a big leap of faith and was like, let's see if this works. And so I started ABLE. Amazing. So we let's talk about it. We would love to know everything that ABLE Transition Consulting does, how it works, how, how your clients find you, what it looks like. Yeah, for sure. So um, we are 100% referral based. So it's pretty much my clients tell other people who they know, um, or we have several like providers that we work with that will contact um, individuals and send their information over to us. And so we provide person-centered transition planning for individuals. So we provide a lot of different services. I would say like the kind of capstone that we do is person-centered planning. And so everybody's heard the term person-centered planning, but our person-centered planning is based um, on a mapping program that's very transition-based and transition-focused. And so we basically walk all of our clients through the next 15 years of their life. And we touch every area from healthcare to you taking your personal medications to transportation, employment, finances, assets, your social security income, Medicaid, and the list goes on and on and on. Anything you can think about adult life, we're going to touch and we're going to talk about. And I would say, you know, the, the big capstone for me is that every plan is built on the individual skills, their abilities, their strengths, their preferences, their interests, their desires, their dreams, because it's their life. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting for a lot of the families we work with. Sometimes it's the first time that the adult individual is telling people in a room what they want, right? Mm -hmm. They've been a part of a lot of IEP meetings where their voice maybe hasn't been heard. And so I love it because it's really cool. Sometimes parents sitting with me hear their kids' dreams for their life for the first time and hear that they want this specific job. Actually, mom and dad, I want to live out of the house. Like that one has been, that comes up a lot. So with that, we work in like three sessions with families. Um, we do transition testing, we do assessments, and we're going to make sure that um, as we're working with each family and each client, every kid doesn't get the same transition test because every kid is different. Mm -hmm. So everything we do is really uniquely based on them what and what they want for their life outcomes, right? What jobs they want, if they want to go to post-secondary school, if they want to be in an inclusive setting, if they want to go to a trade school, we're going to have all of those conversations. We do have other supports where we help with jobs. Um, I would say that competitive and integrative employment is not really happening in North Carolina right now. My goal, uh, we were actually supposed to start working with businesses in March, but then COVID. So we were supposed to start working and doing trainings with some local businesses about competitive and integrative employment across industry, right? I, I think that, and I've had several clients bring this up, you know, I feel like my only option is to work at the Walmart, to work at that coffee shop because I hire people with disabilities. But what if I'm interested in working at a bank? Or working in the tech industry. And so I think that we are, we work with a lot of clients helping them see that, you know, you can work across industry, whatever your interests are, whatever you're good at, whatever you're passionate about, like, let's get you to that place. I think it's going to take time. 
I think it's going to take a lot of education to local small businesses. And so um, that is something that we're hoping to do. We also provide supports for job interviews, resume skill building. We have an occupational therapist who works with us whose capstone is transition. And so um, a lot of times if we have goals or recommendations for specific clients, she'll help them. I would say the biggest goal for every client I work with is that they are going to have a high quality life that they love so that when they leave us, they feel like they have a path forward. Research shows that it's really hard to think long-term when you have a child with a disability. And it can be scary to think long-term, but it's really good to think long-term. So I would say several of my conversations with families have to talk about, all right, when you're not here, what have you thought about their living? Have you thought about how they're going to get to work every day? If you're going to be the sole provider of transportation, if you're the guardian and you are no longer here, who's going to be guardian next? Mm -hmm. And so I think I have to take parents to really hard places. So several of our sessions are very emotional and, you know, I'm right there to, to walk with you through this because it's hard Mm -hmm. and it's scary to talk about the future, especially right now. But I'll say that we are getting more calls than ever because a lot of families are really struggling. And with the pandemic, right? Like a lot of workers aren't coming out. Kids are virtual, they're home. So some of our, some of our clients, it's their senior year. They were gonna be advocating for community-based instruction for their kid right. and now they're at home all the time. And so I think some families are kind of seeing this could be the future of them just being at home every day. And like, this is not good for them. Mm. And so I think it's kind of giving some families a precursor of we've got to talk about the future, even though we don't want to talk about the future, if that makes sense. It does. Yeah. Um, I'd love to know how you are adjusting with COVID. Like how, because you just started a year ago. Yeah. And so it's so new and it does sound like so much of what should be and what you hoped for it it has that in-person component that's critical so Mm -hmm. how do you what are you doing with your clients in regards to transition when they're yeah like what kind of what kind of things have you come up with to meet with clients specifically in that or just like in the planning yeah in the planning do you put it on hold or you keep moving forward in planning in transition planning so most families want to keep planning right now creatively we we're working over zoom Sometimes if they, if they live near one, like me or the other transition specialist, we'll meet outside with masks on Um, because what we do, a lot of it is visual too. So we map out visually the plan for them so they can see it in terms of planning for things like employment, post-secondary education, community-based instruction. We're having to get really creative for options for clients. Most of my clients, if they did have a job, they lost their job. They've been furloughed. And a lot of our clients too are high risk for COVID. So they don't want to leave. They don't want to get involved out in the community because they're immunocompromised. And so we want to absolutely respect every individual client and make sure that they're safe and make sure that they are putting their needs first. So right now, when we're talking about the future, when we're talking about jobs, it's been really hard to be really honest. It's been hard to kind of think about how am I going to support you guys with applying for a job when the places you want to work aren't hiring. I would say that's been the biggest barrier during the pandemic is just that many of our clients aren't getting hired. They're not 
even talking about post-secondary school options. Families want to talk about college. They want to talk about inclusive schools, but they're scared to send their child. And the child doesn't really want to go because they don't want to have to be away from home and quarantined in a college. I don't know about where you guys are, but where I live, there are college people are kids are at college. <laughs> they are living there and several of them are getting quarantined in dorms. And so parents kind of think about that and say, you know, I, I don't want that for my child. Sure. Um, so a lot of the transition planning that we're doing right now, I would say is more preparation for, all right, how do we, what steps do we want to take and can we take now? So kind of in all of our person center plans, we start with your, the dreams and the goals first. I want to know like, what are your dreams? What do you want to do? It could be, Hey, I want to save. I had a client tell me he wants to save money and go to Argentina himself. Okay. That is a goal. He has goals of getting married, right? Living on his own, learning public transportation. And so public transportation, right? He's not going to start learning public transit right now because his, he's not comfortable with it. His parents aren't comfortable. So we map out goals for every client for three to five months from our session, a year, three years, 10 years, five years, 10 years, and then sometimes longer. So a lot of the next steps that we're doing right now are things that can be accomplished during this coronavirus time. So for many families, it just, it looks different. So it's much, I would say of like preparation for bigger changes are happening right now. Um, and in that one to three years, that's where we're kind of starting to actually think concretely about moving forward with things like employment, housing, transportation, just because there's like, there, who knows what's happening. Yeah. There's so much yeah. unknown. Um, and I want to be able to set them up for success long-term. Yeah. I, I'm so interested in this, Kinsey. I feel like there, I've never heard of anyone doing this kind of consulting work. You know, I've learned a lot about financial planning for your child with a disability, but do you feel like this is, does this exist in other places? Are you the lone person? Are you going to start this where we live? Because we need you. I mean, my like dream is would be to have people doing this all across the country. No, it's super, mm -hmm. it's really funny because, um, I'm a terrible businesswoman because I mm -hmm. being a teacher, right. I taught kids who were homeless in the foster care system. So when I first started last year, like my prices were like so low and <laughs> because I wanted everyone to access. So I'm, yeah. I am working on right now, currently starting a nonprofit branch to have like sliding scales Smart. because everybody needs this, right? Yes. Yes. That, and to me, like, I think there's so much happening in our world right now. And I'm hoping and praying right for justice and for equity and for inclusion in so many ways. But I also want my business to be representative of everyone can access these services because they need to be able to access these services. Um, when I started, my mom was like, here, you should talk to this business consultant. And they were like, let's do some marketing. Let's do some like market testing and figure out your pricing and, um, he was, you know, doing research and he called me and he said, are you, is there anyone who does this? Or are you just like starting this? And I was like, well, I think I'm just starting this because <laughs> at least in North Carolina, I don't know anyone else who's doing this. And he said the closest thing he could find was like this organization in Oregon that did some type of transition support for adults. But other than that, he couldn't find anyone. So I personally, and the people that I graduated with that have my same graduate degree, 
typically work in small districts in the Northeast, some in Kansas that are wealthier socioeconomically. Mm -hmm. They can afford to pay a transition specialist as a part of their district, right? Because you've got wealthy families that live in small districts um, and that's where they're working. They're not really starting their own businesses or working at other type of public schools. So I would really love to see this business grow, but I would also love to see public schools implementing transition specialists as a part of that IEP transition process, right? Because when, you're, when your child is 14, right, that's when you start planning for transition. That's when you're talking about your transition IEP. You're talking about the post-secondary goals for education, employment, and independent living. But then outside of that, educators and not at their not to their fault they're doing so much but don't know about social security income or medicaid or hey when you apply for medicaid you will probably get denied the first time and you will have to appeal it families don't know that and so i'm i feel like i'm telling it's kind of like telling families um the journey they're going to take before they get there and so it can be really overwhelming because there's it's there's so much we also give every client that works with us our, our resource guide, which is like a 40-page document and has information all about independent living, transportation, employment, um, the IEP process, the transition process, the transition timeline. So I feel like for many of our clients, you know, they tell us we never knew 90% of what you told of what you're like giving us as information. And so my goal is to be able to provide the best support and services for any individual. I would say I would love to grow and expand to like other places, but also like for wherever you live, I don't know about your agencies and your support services yeah. there. So right. I would want specialists in that area who A, are gonna have the heart that I, that I want them to have, right? Where they're not doing it necessarily for themselves, but for these people, right? I love like that we can shout their worth in this transition process. I want someone who's going to shout worth, seek inclusion, seek competitive and integrative employment, um, but also really know what's going on in your area because you've got to know the resources, the agencies, Hey, which agent it's, it's hard to learn like which agency you can call, which agency you're going to have difficulty with. I feel like every situation is so nuanced. So I'm thankful that I've really learned North Carolina and my area and the areas that we work in so that we can give clients a hundred percent of the information they need. But I mean, hopefully one day, maybe there will be multiple of ables. I would, I would, that would be like dreams, but we'll see what happens. Um, A lot of our listeners don't live in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I don't know the percentage, but I'm, I think that's a safe assumption. Yeah. And um, I am wondering, this might be a trick question because it is so unique to everyone's area. If there's a starting point, like that you could recommend if someone's like, okay, so I don't, I don't, can't have Kinsey Clark. Who can I call? Like what, where's the best starting point in order to create a transition plan for my child? Ooh, that's a good question. So I would say in terms of, okay, so there's different types of plans. There is, right, the person-centered plan, and then there's the transition service plan. And so kind of the differences in what that looks like is the person, like we can do person-centered plans for anyone anywhere in the country because we're planning out your future. But when it comes to the transition plan, that's going to be the specific agencies you call, the financial planner, the lawyer to do your special needs trust. Those are those specific places. 
if you need support with all of those resources and agencies and people, I would personally, if you have an autism society where you live or an ARC, um, those are two places that I trust. And typically, typically now I will say you will have great, great success working with them. Um, most families will call Voc Rehab. I will be very honest, depending on where you live, depending on the district you're in and how Voc Rehab is funded, you're going to get differing experiences. I have clients who live in South Carolina who love their Voc Rehab, who have great agents that work with them. And I have clients who live in North Carolina who can't get anyone to call them back from Voc Rehab. So it's a, it's a varied experience with Voc Rehab. And that's why I recommend the ARC and then the Autism Society, just because they're going to be typically really good advocacy and organization centers. If you have a Down Syndrome Alliance, wherever you live, too, they're a really incredible resource. Um, and I work really closely with the Down Syndrome Alliance of North Carolina and um, work really closely with their directors to uh, make sure that their people have the correct information needed when it comes to transition. So that's a really tough question to ask because it is so nuanced and unique mm -hmm. to each place. And like, who's the director? What are their goals? What do they want? What are they kind of, you know, looking for as you think about the future? But we do transition plan for clients all across. We've worked, we're working right now, mainly like East Coast, Illinois. We do person-centered planning for, for all of those individuals because that can kind of be planned and mapped out wherever you live. That's great. And, and for the, for our listeners, you know, a lot of our listeners have young kids with Down syndrome or other disabilities. For those of us whose, whose kids are still pretty little and who, you know, we already feel overwhelmed by all the present needs besides just putting it on the back burner and thinking to ourselves, yes, remember that later. Um, is there anything we can be doing right now to be thinking about those transitions later in our kids' lives? Yeah. Well, first I would say rest and take care of yourself. <laughs> that's I number like one. That. <laughs> um, and that's people, people, I had worked with a client whose child is eight and I told her that and she's like, what? Like I should be, I need to be working. And I'm like, well, you are, you are always advocating. You're always working so hard, right? You're learning, you're getting out there, you're going to those IEP meetings, you're preparing, and you're exhausted and no, and like, of course, right. A lot of people, when they get to that high school age, a lot of parents can feel really, really burnt out and really exhausted and just like done with the system and they're done. And they're like, I just want to get my kid out of school. So I would say, take care of yourself first, rest and give yourself a lot of grace. We, especially right now, <laughs> we have to give ourselves so much grace, like every day, extra, extra, extra. But if you, once you rest and once you're giving yourself grace, the things that you can do like that are tangible first is definitely getting connected with places like the ARC, the autism societies, the Down syndrome networks and associations and alliances. You want to ask these places, hey, do you know about what are the post-secondary education options for my child? We work with a lot of clients who get to us and their kid is 21 and they had no idea there were inclusive options for their children for college. And so like learning about that, thinking about that earlier is going to be really important. I always say, think about maybe a couple times a year, 
hey, 15 years from now, what, what do I want for my child? Where do I want them to be? And you'll, I think you'll be surprised at how things that you say, things that you do will change just by that thought of like, hey, where do I want them to be 15 years from now? And how, how can what I do right now affect the future? So I would say getting them involved in the community is essential. Most families, I tell them to advocate for community-based instruction. So, right, that's your child going to school. And right now with COVID, it's not happening. But getting them to, and their teacher to have them out working at a bank, working at Target, working at a local restaurant, working at a small business at the front counter. And for some school districts and some education systems, that's not going to happen. And so we tell families and we do help families find internships, job shadow. Hey, job shadow, your uncle, go to work with him for a week in the summer. Getting them in these spaces is really important. And I would say even, even young kids just having like, Hey, let's go visit grandpa at work today and Mm -hmm. seeing where he works and just showing them that the world is their oyster. And these are opportunities that they can have and talking about the future, talk about, Hey, what are your dreams? Do you want to live with me forever? Even if they're, even if they're 12, right. Even if they're 13, what do you, where do you want to live? Where do you think you want to live? Do you want to live in this state? Do you want to live in an apartment by yourself? And I think if you show your kid that they can do whatever they want to do as an adult, things will slowly start to kind of, they'll start to pivot towards believing in themselves seeing their future as something that they can access and things that they want to do. And so just having conversations, Hey, you always loved music. Do you want to, do you think you'd want to work in a music store? Think you want to work in the music industry and just having small chats side by side and just giving yourself grace that you don't have to do everything perfectly, right? You don't have to make a long list and check off a bunch of things. It can just be having simple conversations with your child. And then in the school system, advocate. And I know you guys are incredible advocates and you advocate for your kids, but advocating, right. For them to be included as much as possible, advocating for them to, if, if they're in a separate setting school and that's, what's best for them, advocating for them to be working out in the community, um, really getting them engaged and involved as much as possible. And then self-determination. I can't say that enough. Self-determination is a key indicator for success as an adult. So let them speak their mind, give them voice, give them choice, let them be autonomous kids, let them be autonomous teenagers. And that is going to do incredible things for their adulthood. Many families can get to us and lovingly, like, you know, they've advocated, they've loved their kid, but they've advocated so much that they've kind of trumped their own child's voice and not, not meaningfully, right? But it can just happen. Um, And so I would say, always ask your kid what they want, ask them to be involved, get them at their IEP meetings, get them there. Even if the teacher is like, I'm not sure that they should be at this meeting. No, they should, they should be at the meeting. It's their life. It's their education day by day. um, It's just, it's just a day by day thing. And then for some of our older clients, like middle school to high school, we tell families have like a little fun retreat with your kid for like one weekend a year, right? Go somewhere. It could be like mom and daughter going out, going away for the weekend and just talking about, hey, what are, what are you interested in? Like, do you want to, do you like Disney? Let's go to Disney for a weekend and see like some of the jobs. And then as they get to middle school, high school age, start to like point out jobs to them. 
start to talk to them about options and availabilities. I think you people do this with neurotypical kids, kids without disabilities all the time, right? Yeah. So what there shouldn't be a difference with if your child has a disability, you should be talking about those things and preparing for them um, at any age and any phase. That's really good information. And it feels tangible. Like it, yeah. it feels like, oh, I can do that. <laughs> you know, like that doesn't feel impossible. And it makes so much sense because I have a kiddo at the elementary age and then the junior high age. And mm-hmm. it's so easy to implement into the day-to-day and a good reminder. I, I would imagine, I know for myself as a parent, like, of course I want my kid to have a voice in their life, you know, mm-hmm. but up till now, it's so easy to, there's a necessity early on to be the voice. Yeah. And I think that I've forgotten and I see this in our community. Sometimes like we forget to always remember that another voice is actually more important than my voice. <laughs> like it's yeah. their voice, it's their life. But I could imagine I, when I worked at the high school, I worked with, I had parents. Yeah. Where I'd be like, okay, IEP's coming up. And I'd say, oh no, they're, they're coming to their IEP. And the parents are like, they've never come to an IEP. Like they shouldn't be there. I'm like, well, it's, yeah, it's their, it's their right. And it's their life. I think it's time you know, in high school that they come to their IEPs, but there is so much that there's so much of their life, like I said, in which the parent voice is the more powerful voice mm. just because of the world in which we live, you know, yeah. like for yeah. better, not because it should be, but the world will listen to my voice. Yes. And, um, and that's like a, that's a big thing, right? Where it, I feel like it comes to equity and justice in so many cases, families have had to be that voice, right? For the school system, especially right. if the kid says, this is what I want, the school might not listen, but if the parent comes in and advocates then they're going to listen. But I think I would love to hear like from you guys, how, how do you think as a parent, you get to the place of transferring over to letting your child's voice be louder than yours? What do you think that looks like? <laughs> I think um, that's a good question. I mean, I think that there's, I, at, for me, Ace is five, and I think this is one of the first moments where I have had to go, oh, how am I going to do that? How am I going to start to, you know, I think there, are, one way right now in the smallest sense is I'm teaching him how to use pecs and to say what he wants to eat, and I'm not just plopping food in front of him and I think you know for those of us with tiny tiny kids it starts with that sort of thing where kids uh, especially those of us with kids who aren't speaking yet like being able to express their needs in some way is so vital because that teaches us as parents too that like as time goes on he's going to need to be speaking for himself more and more however whatever that looks like yeah. 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 I think it's important to have relationships with people ahead of me as a reminder so that I don't get caught up in being the loudest voice in the conversation about my kids mm. and that they, I get reminded that my kids have an opinion, they will be an adult. And, and as we reach that place, they should be the ones making the decisions. A little thing that I do always with my kids is anytime I am in a situation where we're talking about them um, in regards to something that's important to them and they're in the room, 
I always bring them into the conversation and then just say, Hey, and, and ask like, do you want to talk about this? And if they have nothing to say, then just state. So everyone listening here is like, okay, honey, we're going to be talking about you while you're sitting here. If you have anything you want to say, please say it. I know that's kind of weird when people do that, you know, cause then like when you talk about with teachers and stuff. So just that remind, like reminding myself, reminding my kid, like you, yeah, you too advocate for yourself, you know, like mm-hmm. you, you have that opportunity. And yeah, it's such a good question. I think that we're just in a season that with the growth, I think even with a child who doesn't have a disability when they're little, you know, like any parent is speaking on behalf of their child until a certain point. So we're just reaching that point of our kids getting, getting our kids, getting is the wrong word. Cause I always want them to have that option and opportunity to speak for themselves, but stepping into that role, being in a, in a place of maturity and understanding of stepping into a role of being the louder voice in the conversation. So I'm grateful for this conversation because I think I'm going to be more mindful of it. I think you said that, Micah. Yeah, and I appreciate sure. that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's like mindset is huge. Mm-hmm. And always when I taught, I taught elementary, that was the first setting I taught. So it was K through, yeah, K through two. And I would always tell my parents, all right, your kid is going to be 25 one day. And when they're 25, do you like, how, do you want them to be doing this and this? And this? <laughs> like, we would have these conversations and they'd be like, oh my gosh, they're going to be 25. Like they're going to be an adult. And so, um, well, yeah, of course you just don't think about it. Right. And right. I think all of us me myself included, you know, can get bogged down in the day to day. And so it can be hard to kind of pull yourself out of, you're advocating and what you're doing today to think about the future. Mm -hmm. Um, But just day-to-day having small conversations throughout the year um, and having in the back of your mind, my kid's going to be 25 one day. I think that will do a lot. And you stewarding as a parent, your child's dreams is huge and like advocating for their dreams and letting them speak their dreams and not let, not having their dreams feel squashed, I think is really important because a lot of clients get to us and they think, okay, well, I can be a greeter in a store. I can be a sales associate and I can be a barista. Like those are the three things I hear like that, that those are what most of our clients think they can do when it comes to a job. And then I think having families when they're younger, being able to say, no, you can, you can work at a bank. You can work at a tech company. You want to work, you know, in TV, you can work in TV. And letting that those things that are an option be an option from an early age, yeah, I think is really huge. It's huge. I think there's also the, I think about this like the chicken or the egg first thing where mm-hmm. part of the problem is my kids don't see themselves in any of those roles, yep. and mm-hmm. that's an issue. You know, which we've talked about. We had the star peanut butter falcons mom on, and just like how important it is that our kids can see themselves in a space. And when we talked, we had an episode with Gail Williamson, who's a talent agent for people with disabilities. And we're like, what do you want to see more of? And she said, I want to see the little roles. I want to see the baristas. I want to see the, you know, boy walking down the sidewalk, walking a dog. Like we need to see people with Down syndrome in those roles, just the day to day, that it's not some like special character that has Down syndrome. And so that is a tricky part too. Like we, the work that you're doing is getting us to that space where hopefully the generations to come will see themselves more represented, represented more in the workplace. So then they have an idea of more opportunities. 
Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Representation. Yeah, I agree. And that's why, you know, I would hope, I really hope that as my business grows and as I work with clients that we will continue to work with businesses so that businesses will see that competitive and integrative employment is essential to their success too. Right. And like, if everyone doesn't have a seat at the table, our community is not flourishing and everybody needs to have a seat at the table. So that means everybody needs to have access to, to all of these jobs and all of these industries. Yeah. And so, I mean, that, that's my hope for the future. We'll see. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that that can happen. Always hopeful. Kinsey, I, I really appreciate your time. I love the work that you're doing in the world and, and how meaningful it is for us all the way over here in California, even. Can you tell of our listeners how they can find you? How can we learn more about you? Yeah. So we have social media at Able Transition and then our website, abletransitionconsulting.com has all of our information. That's where a lot of our people find us. We are also on Twitter, on Facebook. We have all the social media outlets and we want to be accessible to people. If you want to contact us, our information is on our website and we love supporting people. No matter where they live, we can build a person-centered plan for you. And even if you just want to call me for 15 minutes and talk and rant and cry, I I can talk for 15 minutes for sure. (laughs) You're so kind. Thank you so much for being on the show. And we are going to take a minute now to go hear some good news. We've got some good, 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 good news. Getting low there. I got low. You got low, 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 low. I was feeling it because this has been such a good episode and I'm inspired. Yes. So we've got good news, my friends. And I want us to hear from a listener One of our listeners in Chambers 55 says, my son started 4K in person and he is fully included in a typical 4K classroom that is taught by one general ed teacher and one special ed teacher. Wow. Um, They say, I love the model and I'm so excited to see how he thrives. And she's got fingers crossed, hopefully not as shut down. Um, also he loves the bus and it's the cutest thing to see him run to it every morning. Oh so gosh. We got good news. I know it's hard for Heather to hear about anybody whose kids are getting to be, um, in person right now. It's like a it double whammy be- in person <laughs> with a classroom with a special ed and a general ed teacher. I know I it's, know. I'm so happy for you guys. I really truly am. So good. It's hard of hearts. So it is good news. It's good news for you, which means it's good news for me. That's right. <laughs> I have, I have good news. I so my good news right now is that Ace started his his school out here in New Jersey last week in person um, because the school district is prioritizing people in special education. How about that? And we're so thankful for that. And he is also in a classroom with a teacher who is trained in ABA and an one-on-one aide who is trained in ABA, which is just blowing my mind. And here's the best of my good news. Yesterday, they came to me and they said, I hope it's okay, but we're gonna start potty training at school. Okay. And every 30 minutes, he's gonna sit on the potty. <laughs> and I was like, that's okay. That's, that's <laughs> real okay. 
So, um, wow. I just, I'm blown away and I feel like it's confirmation of that we have made a good decision yes. to come out here. So really great. Micah, that is such good news. My heart is so happy for you. I love Thank it. You, Sweet Thank ace. You. Yes. We're going to do this. Get that kid potty trained y'all. Yes. Well, we're, we're just so thankful. I, I love meeting people like Kinsey who are just doing the good work and, and making it happen when it doesn't exist. And so just grateful for this episode. We also want to thank all of our listeners. Thank you for joining us today, friends. And as always, we want to hear from you. Leave us a voicemail or a DM on Instagram and share about your family and your good news for your loved one with Down syndrome. We love to hear from you. And if you have a product or a business that wants to help us shout the worth of people with Down syndrome, we would love to partner with you. You can email hello at theluckyfewpodcast.com for sponsorship opportunities. And as always, a huge thank you to our editor, Josh Avis, to our producer, Val Schleter, to our sponsor, and to all of you who have shared the Lucky Few Podcast with friends who have listened faithfully and cheered us on. Don't forget to subscribe. We love it when you do. We love it when you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember that you, dear listener, out there supporting your loved one with Down syndrome, you are a shatter of worth and a narrative shifter. So keep on keeping on. We are cheering for you. And we will see you all next time on the Lucky Few Podcast. Bye. Bye, friends. Hey, Heather here, and we are so excited to get to share with you our sponsor for this week's episode, Jonas Paul Eyewear, with home try-on kits for just a dollar that allow you to try out their glasses for a week without even leaving home, and prescription glasses starting at $79, including prescription lenses. Jonas Paul Eyewear is our go-to for glasses for our kiddos between the ages of 4 and 16. Head to JonasPaulEyewear.com to learn more.